and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. The podcast where we talk justice over coffee with a special guest. And this episode is consistent with that format. It is, however, part two of our Dominican Republic special. Hola. Me llaman Romeo. Es un placer conocerla. So in part one, you will remember that we spoke to the human rights lawyer and IJM legal director, Sonia Hernandez, and Luz de Alba, one of the treasured clinical psychologists and aftercare specialists at the field office in Santo Domingo. We heard about some of the difficulties and struggles in their work and the joy that is experienced when they see a young life rescued and restored when they witness the wheels of justice moving and positive change coming to their country. I also shared a recording of when I left my hotel a few weeks back and went for a walk in one of the red light districts of the city to give a picture, an auditory picture, of the environment that exists where children or menores, minors, have and continue to be exploited. So I'm really grateful for those of you who have been in touch since with kind and encouraging messages about the episode. We've had several, so thank you. I also heard from our friend Glenn Pounder, the ex-national crime agency liaison, current COO at Child Rescue Coalition, who was on the podcast a few months ago. Glenn reminded me that we are allowed to call it what it is, child rape. He flagged the reluctance of people to use such abrasive language, but the fact remains that a child cannot under any circumstance, give consent. And therefore, what is occurring is rape. It is as simple and as awful as that. Thank you, Glenn, for reminding us. It's a great encouragement for me to hear from listeners of this podcast. I see the great global diaspora of downloaders on our podcast platform, but I very rarely get to hear from those of you who I'm talking to now. So please do drop me a message. Let me know what you think of each episode. Maybe suggest a topic we can cover or a person you'd like us to bring on the podcast. Drop me a message via Blue Bear's social media accounts or you can find me on Twitter at Bryn Frere. So let's get back to today and return to the Dominican Republic. So close your eyes, if you will. Unless you were driving, of course. Or ironing. Or doing anything other than sitting down in a safe place. Imagine that it's hot. 30-something degrees. Your body is cloaked by the hot and humid air. There's a light breeze. You're wishing you'd worn shorts and not jeans. You can feel sweat dripping down the front of your shins into your socks. There's noise everywhere. The horn of a passing car. Two men calling out at each other. A woman shouting at her children to stop playing near the road. The timpani of Caribbean music from the corner shop speaker at the end of the street. Now we've been to the streets. We've heard from some of the sex workers. We've experienced a little of the environment where this crime type can be found. We've spoken to a lawyer committed to seeing justice done and an aftercare specialist devoted to the rights 
of the survivor. As they begin a new stage of life, away from the bars, brothels, street corners, loud music and alcohol-drenched breath of older men. Investigation, prosecution, aftercare. So where do we go now? Well, I want us to go to a place of hope, of love, of life. To sit down with Erica Jude, the director of Lily House, one of the only aftercare shelters on the island that is specifically set up to support young survivors of sexual exploitation. Let's go there. And listen out for a special announcement at the end of the episode. Great. So we're here, finally. We've got the opportunity to chat. We're sat, sat underneath a sort of, is this bamboo leaf? Yeah, this is sugar cane leaf. This is sugar cane leaf and palm leaf. So this is my favorite spot. We're looking up on a thatched roof right now and looking up out over all of our property. It is a perfect spot and there's the odd interjection from your local rooster, which we've decided to keep in, haven't we? We thought this yes. would make it even more authentic. Could you tell us where where this all started? What was the the seed that started Lily House? Yes, yeah, so about 15 years ago, my husband and I moved to the island to work with really the, the poorest of the poor in the area in sugarcane villages. There were a lot of Dominicans, a lot of Haitians, and I can remember the first time I ever went into one of those areas and one of the first real relationships I built um, was with a woman and when she explained to me how she survived and how she provided food to her children, I just, you know, it, it just broke my heart as she explained to me. Basically, she sold herself to the men in her village for rice and beans. Um, and so very quickly learning in the poverty culture here that that was very rampant, very acceptable. Um, as a matter of fact, almost um, assumed and many of your family members just assumed that's how women are going to survive and we we came to know that you know the Dominican is known for a lot of tourism it's known for beautiful beaches it's known for baseball and working here with people boys get out of poverty through baseball but it's very accepted and just a commonplace that girls will only get out through prostitution and and trafficking them um, even amongst their family members so that is a very very normal thing I, d I had no idea that's what your original purpose was to actually look into yes. the people working in the labor. So we were ministering um, as Christian missionaries in these in these villages, um, and then where we were living, as we were reaching out to the youth in our area, started to notice that in the little town where we lived, the girls were coming um, to you know like youth clubs and having to leave early. And we kind of, you know, why are you leaving early? And so we began to see that there basically, there was one particular girl, she had to meet her mother um, because her mom had an appointment for her. And so um, we were a little slow um, in understanding this is what was going on. I had lived here three years and, you know, going to the supermarket and going to McDonald's and going to the grocery aisle and did not really realize I had been brushing shoulders, uh, you know, with people that, um, from a lot of um, European and North American men, it had been promoted to come here for, and this expression breaks my heart to even say, um, but promoted to move here, retire here for cheap girls. And you and I know that that's, that's not even a phrase we should ever even, even use because their value is so great. Um, but, you know, I'd been seeing it, but not seeing it. 
And so once um, our eyes were open to what was going on, we you know, formed a group of women and we started going out on the streets and getting to know the women um, working seemingly independently in prostitution. But the more that you got involved, the more that you realized there's a madam, there's a pimp, there's a somebody, um, or there's usually even a family member. And then um, the younger they go, the more often it's a family member. Mm. And you say you were working with other women to, to do this, this ministry. How, how did that emerge? Yeah, so I called a friend and said, um, you know, we were both very, uh, uh, <laughs> would your husband let you go out and look for girls at night? You know, like, are you, do you think that's safe? What should we do? So um, we, this is bad. This is so bad. We dressed our husbands up, you know, and said, walk the streets, make sure we're safe. If anybody hits on you, we want to talk to them. No one hit on them. <laughs> So we decided we were safe enough to go out by ourselves. Um, and so every, it was at the time Thursday evenings, and every Thursday we began, it became very obvious how to recognize. And it wasn't like, I don't know, culture does pretty woman, you know, mm. it wasn't pretty woman. Mm. They did, it was not a Julia Roberts, mm. you know. Um, they weren't dressed like that. They weren't, but you begin to culturally understand, um, you know, what the gestures were, where they were. Um, and it's so very quickly we began to understand how to how to recognize it how to approach a, how to approach a woman how to build a relationship with her how to um, just offer her friendship at first when we really didn't know what else to do mm -hmm. um, and then when our first woman wanted to come off the street we pretty much this group of women we looked at each other and said what do we do and so we collected two hundred dollars and rented an apartment and she moved out of her madam's house into the apartment with us. So it was just really step-by-step step learning. At that time, 15 years ago, there was nobody to, we didn't really know anybody on the island to call and say, how do you do this? What do you do? Um, and then after that, we started calling some other international and other, other ministries and other organizations in other countries and just saying, will you mentor us? Will you train us? Um, and getting you know counsel and tips from other people who've been doing this and trying to then learn how that applies in our Dominican cultural context and what adjustments we needed to make. So we had an apartment first, then we moved to a little bigger, bigger apartment. And then um, we had a donor who provided a home. And so today we have two homes. We have a training center, two-story training center, which we're sitting on the roof of. Um, and then in another area of our small town, we now own um, a cafe and a business plaza. So as our um, teenagers or as our adult women come in, who usually are adult women are mothers and really what they need, like going back to that first girl I met in a sugarcane village, she just needed a decent job, but she needed decent, decent training. She needed someone to care enough to educate her and she'd never had that. And so, um, that's what we do is provide the education and the love and the support and the opportunities to prepare to work in a decent in a decent environment and in a decent career and so our ladies can um, be trained in um, salon and in pastry and culinary um, you know we do a lot of soft business school classes cash registers financing things like that very basic things and then as a woman shows kind of where her strength or her spark what gives her life then we can um, partner with other um, organizations and institutes around us to get her better training in those things. Um, and in the process, one of the newest things which you've seen this week is the, the coffee shop. Um, and so we can actually give real 
job experience, real resumes, real recommendation letters, which is a huge thing, um, even speaking internationally with trafficking agencies. So, Yeah, that's amazing. I think what you've created is incredible, but it's easy, isn't it, now for us to look at what's been done. It's been a process of what, 13 years is it? Yeah, 13 to 15 years, depending on if you count the years we just walked streets and got to know it, got Amazing. to know the girls, so, yeah. And what, have you noticed a certain profile of the types of girls and young women that enter your care? Profile as far as like their background, yeah, their- we were discussing before we started recording the podcast that one of the, the girls receiving care had an immigration issue. Is that yeah. is, is that a commonality? Yeah. So um, so you know, j like most of our countries, there are immigration issues, and um, here in the Dominican Republic, we are we share the island of Hispaniola with Haiti, and so um, a lot of times Haitians are looking for a better life here. Um, there are, are lots of girls of Haitian descent who have been born here but never legalized here. And so, you know, if you do any research at all, and we would encourage anybody listening to do some research, but your most vulnerable population uh, often in any country you're looking at statistics of trafficking are, are, girls, are girls or young boys who are undocumented. Um, it, it just makes them susceptible and vulnerable and, and um, targets for trafficking um, because it makes them susceptible and vulnerable to not be able to receive education and, and other things that many of us just take for granted and, and you know, is normal in our lives. Um, so yeah, so we have, um, we have girls who, who come who um, you know, may speak a, a, or have, with a, have, an, have an accent or um, you know, they, may, they may not fit the typical Dominican um, profile. We also have had, once the country began really um, putting the government, putting some effort into forming their Department of Trafficking and, and agencies and things like that, we started seeing some um, uh, international victims as well. So we've had um, Colombian women, Venezuelan women, um, we've had Iranian women here, and so it's been very, um, very multicultural and uh, just an amazing experience to be able to reach out to women um, actually from all over the world from this little spot in the Dominican Republic. Amazing. And what have been the common challenges that you've had to encounter and deal with in this type of work? Well, trauma is um, probably the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and so just understanding that people, you know, any of us who come from a background um, of poverty and often that brings with it um, physical sexual abuse, um, you know, especially if it has been uh, depending on levels of violence, depending on levels of relationship of people that you've trusted. Um, each one of our girls' story is very different. And so just handling that story with care and yet at the same time understanding that there are similarities with each, with each case. Um, again, educating our staff and ourselves in trauma work and trauma care, um, how, to, how to speak on those things, how to build relationships. Um, I think that probably is the most surprising to most people when you speak because we, we kind of picture these girls of just waiting for somebody to rescue them. And in some sense, some of them are, but that's not the case in every, every case that we receive. And so to, to be rescued and to be brought here, I you know, imagine uh, from a childhood up to adulthood, that is years and years of years of abusive relationships, of people betraying me, of people taking advantage of me. And all of a sudden, 
I'm supposed to just swip, flip a switch and trust these people. Um, and so that, that's a big part of, of what we have had to train in and learn and, and just take with, with, you know, slow, take the relationship slow, um, but just showing as much care and love as we can and that we don't want anything from you. We're not, um, we're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to take advantage of you because all of their life, that's, that's what relationships have been. And so trying to move past that into healthy relationships. So that, that is the first obstacle that really comes to mind when we're working with a, a girl. Yeah. You just mentioned that you've had to make it clear to the people that receive your care here that there's nothing in it for you other than mm -hmm. the fact that you feel compelled to, to do this type of work. Mm -hmm. In respect to your faith, mm -hmm. there's probably a, an increasing amount of people that are somewhat suspicious of Christian min ministries sometimes for good reason. They haven't always been practiced in perhaps the best possible way. Sure. How do you navigate being a Christian, being doing the work because of your personal faith, which I imagine is what motivates you to sure. do this, without unnecessarily or, or, or uh, presenting it upon the, the service users in a way that's unrequited. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, one of the things I love about um, about this type of ministry, and even as I watch it in other ministries that are not Christian, the principles are the same. I mean, and yes, our principles come from biblical principles. Uh, that's to love your neighbor. It's to know the value of, of, of your worth and your identity and um, you know how to live in a way that's respectful to yourself and, and is safe. Um, all of those principles are biblical principles, but um, you know, you, as we've said, you've, these girls have come from abusive situations. Nothing can be forced on them, and you know, anything, <laughs> anything, you know, especially our faith should not be forced on us. And and so we do, um, you know, expose them and give them opportunities to uh, to uh, go to church and to to be around healthy people and to um, go experience youth group with other teen teen kids and be part of games and be part of just being a normal teenager. Um, but none of that is forced up on them. Um, and so, I, you know, again. Two, two things that are very important for trafficking victims and vulnerable in prevention. It's choice and freedom. And so we, we you know, make sure that those are two, two priorities for us that are very, very obvious that we cling to here. And so it's choice and freedom. Where do, what do you want to do? Where do you want to study? What do you want to do after you leave Lily House? Um, you know, and I'm sure you've seen in other places, if it is any way forced, it doesn't work anyway. It's not authentic and the results aren't there that you want. So, you know, choice and freedom are, are right up there for us on priorities. And perhaps you could tell us or share a story for us mm -hmm. or an example of one of the girls or young women that's come through Lily House. Yeah, so um, gosh, I could share so many. I'm trying to say, oh, in my head, which one is the, is the best story? Um, you know, we have had, as far as in, in the area of rescue, and when we talk about, you know, I think people sometimes when they come to Lily House, so many people have commented, I thought I was going to come and it was going to be extremely sad mm. and extremely depressing. Um, and certainly when you think of trafficking, that's what you, that's what you think of. Um, but, you know, just the hope 
that is also available and and the encouragement and the light and the love that is available and so when I think of our girls you know I can think of them from the rescue side and from where they came from um, I was just speaking to one of our girls uh, who um, you know she's got two small little children and they're beautiful beautiful little boys um, but uh, most of our children that are in our program and in our daycare uh, most of them have been um, the result of a rape um, or um, you know a forced client and those types of things and so um, you know there there's a lot of heartache when you look back at the beginning of their stories there's a lot of, uh, of hard things to confront and to deal with and to work through and um, so many of our moms have wanted to um, you know just just give their children away and feel like they can't be a mom to their children um, but many of them have been abandoned by their parents or they've been trafficked by their parents. And so they have this, this huge internal, do I give my child away in order to be a better mom or do I keep my child in order to be a better mom? And so just looking at her even this morning and watching her interact with her children and the smiles on their faces and the hugs and the love that they shared um, and knowing that those two little boys may have been given away and on a street somewhere and who knows where they would be, but they're a family today and she's working and um, providing for them and um, just being the mom that she never had. Um, that, that has been huge. It was actually a family member who um, was trafficking her and uh, she was one of the situations we've talked about as being undocumented. And so basically you do what anybody tells you to do in order to, to eat that day. And so um, she had been told to come leave one side of the island, get on a bus, use her last, last little bit of money at the time she was a minor, use her last little bit of money and come to this restaurant on the other side. And a family member would provide a job for her. And after she spends that very last peso, very last penny just to get here to our area, uh, she discovers that it's a brothel and she has to spend the night with her first client um, or she doesn't eat that night. Um, and, you know, just to listen to her share of just the thoughts that went through her head, you know, do I, do I take my life or do I sleep with this client in order to just eat tonight? Mm -hmm. You know, um, just being faced with those decisions as a minor, you know, just being faced with that, that what, it, what am I gonna do? And so um, she did decide to go ahead and, and work in that particular place because she felt as if there was no other choice. She couldn't leave, she had no money to go anywhere else, she couldn't get back on a bus, she didn't know how to get back home. And so she stayed with that family member and that family member trafficked her within a brothel. We met her on outreach one night and invited her to a little get together the next day. She said she'd come and she called me the very next morning and said, hey, I'm awake, will you come pick me up? Which was huge, it was early in the morning. And so I was like, this girl really, she really wants to come if she's calling me and she's, and we went and picked her up and she has been with us ever since. Um, she just needed somebody to show her a way out. She just needed another option. Um, and the choice and the freedom that we just talked about. And so today she's, she's a healthy mom. Um, you know, there, there have been many dark moments working through her trauma, um, you know, um, uh, some setbacks we have a lot of times, but that's why we just love our staff and the people that just persevere and love through. And um, it's just a beautiful family to watch them today interact as mom and two little, two little boys and to raise those boys up to be great men in our society. And we're excited to see see what happens with them as well.
amazing. How can we help you? you, I know you're a charity and you can only do this because of donations. There's no, unless you're going to correct me, institutional funding that supports Living House. So how can the listener potentially support what you're doing here in the Dominican Republic? Yes, so uh, we do we do raise support. You can go to um, our website at Score International, and I'm sure they can go to uh, Blue Bear and find out some uh, <laughs> some information there as well. Um, so yeah, just encouragement. They can people can visit, um, people can volunteer, people can intern. Of course, they can find out more information with us um, uh, and and the issue of trafficking here in the Dominican. But uh, yes, funding is how we keep our doors open. It's how we provide food for 25 to 30 mouths a day. It's how we provide education and training so that one day they have the choice and the freedom to leave here and work uh, with dignity elsewhere. Erica, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. We love you. We love what you're doing and your team and we want to bless you. Keep doing it. If we can support you in any way we we want to. So keep up the good work and thanks for chatting with me this afternoon. Thank you. One of the very best parts of being involved with Blue Bear and the podcast is getting a chance to meet people like Erica. They amaze me. They seem to radiate love. It just oozes out of them. I hope that was evident about Erica from our chat. I also hope you enjoyed our little rooftop cockerel speckled interview. I thought she made some really good points. It was interesting, wasn't it, what Erica said at the beginning about boys in the DR having baseball as a potential route out of poverty and girls having prostitution. I wonder if any of the girls at my school needed to turn to prostitution to ensure they didn't go hungry. I don't think so. By agreeing with the rhetoric that says sex work is a necessary economic option for the unskilled and uneducated. It is agreeing that inequality is okay. That the existence of that level of pervasive poverty in the world, it's okay, isn't it? I think that when I hear people make those sorts of arguments, they are tiptoeing into the shallow waters of the topic. Dare I say, ignorantly. And not spending enough time to truly understand the depth and complexity of the issue. I also thought it was interesting when Erica said... I'd been seeing it, but not seeing it. When she referred to the girls leaving youth club early to go and work on the street corners. This is still a problem in the Dominican Republic. There remains a great deal of unawareness that needs to be addressed. And of course, the same can be said for the UK and other parts of the world. She was also right when she said that the most at-risk section of society is undocumented workers. This is why if you care about fighting trafficking... You have to address immigration. And we cannot go on relying on security measures and legislation as a way of defeating people smuggling and organised immigration crime. But that's a subject for next season. Now, as to our special announcement. So I arrived in the DR in October with a plan to open a Blue Bear coffee shop. Then I hear that Lily House have opened their own. And I visited it. And it was and is 
awesome. And Lily House is awesome. And Erica and her team are awesome. So, the coffee shop can wait. But what we've decided to do is to sponsor the restoration and rehabilitation of girls and young women whilst they're residing at Lily House to add capacity to what this amazing project is doing. Like Erica said, what people most often need is a good, safe and fairly paid job. And for survivors, a safe place to rebuild their lives. Blue Bear was created for such a purpose. So we are in the process of registering Blue Bear Freedom, a Dominican charity with the most amazing board of trustees, including Sonia from part one, and Christina and Elizabeth from the IJM field office, as well as Ricardo, my Chilean brother from another mother, to fund the outstanding work of Lily House and other such projects, bringing restoration and rehabilitation to teenage survivors of sex trafficking in the Dominican Republic, and to raise awareness in at-risk communities. How cool is that? We are also setting up a UK charity with an equally fabulous board to allow us to raise support here. So the coffee business still exists and will continue to grow from strength to strength, God willing. But the fruits of our labor will, from January 2022 onwards, be invested in the care of survivors in the DR through partners such as Erica and her team at Lily House. Does that sound good or what? Now, it costs around $250 per month per person to be cared for at Lily House. This year, we have committed to sponsoring a minimum of two service users, but I'm hoping we can go way beyond that. If that sounds like something you would like to support, please get in touch. We want to increase our coffee sales as well as our fundraising activities to help us have more of an impact on the lives of children and young women in need of support. Give me a few weeks to get the website updated, but that's the scoop. I hope you're down. Now, in the meantime, if you want to find out more about Lily House, you can do so by going to SCORE International's website and searching for Lily House. So that's enough for now. Thank you for listening along. Hey, have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And let's talk in 2022. Peace.